Hi, I'm James McGuire, and on today's eSpeaks, we're talking about trends and best practices and observability and emerging technology that enables companies to better understand what's going on with their technical infrastructure. To discuss that, I'm joined by someone who knows a lot about the topic. With me is Ian Smith, field CTO at Chronosphere. Ian, very good to have you with us today. Thanks, James. It's great to be here. So I, I've got some questions for you, and I really want to talk about the observability market. There's a lot going on there. Uh, before we get started with that, I'd like to get a sense. Uh, please tell us what Chronosphere does. I think, obviously, it's a well-known company, so many people already know. But for those who aren't as familiar, what, what does Chronosphere do for, for other companies? Sure. Chronosphere is the only observability platform that's built to empower DevOps teams, SRE teams, and controlling the speed, scale, and complexity that comes with the technology and organizational changes of a cloud-native world particularly as you adopt microservices, containers at, at scale. Like all monitoring and observability technology, the guiding light of Chronosphere is in facilitating engineers resolving their infrastructure and application issues before they affect customer experiences and that bottom line. Uh, but we're also trusted by the world's most innovative brands, including DoorDash, Snap, and Zillow to go beyond those fundamentals. So reigning in costs, improving developer productivity, uh, increasing that customer satisfaction and enabling more rapid innovation to develop and maintain the competitive advantage. All right, great. Certainly a market for that, no doubt about it. So let's talk about the observability market. It feels like it's come up in the world the last few years. I sense a lot more buzz about the market. And uh, so, so as you survey the observability sector going into 2024, what trends do you see currently driving, driving the sector? Yeah, so I think there are some interesting ones, not just in the tooling side of things, but across the board. And this sort of, in my mind, refers to the overarching observability strategy that I'm sure we'll talk about as we, we go through. But uh, there's things like the adoption of open source, particularly in the areas of instrumentation and data collection. Prometheus has been popular for a long time, uh, but things like open telemetry, I think are really uh, you know hitting stride now. And it's offering customers and engineering organizations a lot a higher degree of control and choice and that i think is also underpinning a lot of what we see on the tool selection side of things as well uh you know historically there's probably been a little bit of a uh, best of breed slash i can assemble things myself where mm -hmm. i have maybe a hodgepodge of, of different things for metrics a different tool for tracing or APM um, and a different tool for logging and, and various other things sort of assembled together. It's oftentimes I hear a lot of customers talking about, oh, well, actually we have, you know, six, seven, eight, nine different observability tools uh, that touch that experience. And there's a really big focus on tool consolidation now. Um, but I think that underpinning that is a really key focus on what is the value I'm getting out of observability and am I getting the correct outcomes that I'm looking for? So mm -hmm. I think there's in some ways, and interestingly for uh, those of us working in the vendor space, there's a high degree of skepticism now about, well, what are you providing me other than mm. features and functions? Mm -hmm. um, and then I think you're underpinning um, lots of these conversations, particularly with the current economic environment is, am I getting value for money? Am I getting return on my investment? So costs and utilization value, uh, those are also questions that people are, are heavily thinking about as well. You know, it seems like it's a key question and, and not to delve too deeply into this, but, but how do you counter that skepticism when someone says, hey, wait a second, do I, do I really need uh, an observability application? Seems like kind of a no-brainer, but what, what do you say to customers in, in answer to that? Oh, for sure. And organizations definitely believe in the value of observability as a concept and obviously need the tooling. But I think the skepticism comes in terms of, well, what am I getting beyond sort of the high-level marketing message? 
Uh, and then one of the things that I see in my role is a desire for customers to be able to understand uh, what am I getting beyond the tools, the features and the function? And am I having a partner in this? Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously things like customer support, but it's like, what is the thought leadership? Where are you going? Uh, am I going to be with this particular vendor um, and have increased value over time you know, over the course of a multi-year relationship? Um, mm -hmm. Or am I going to be able to only really take advantage of some features and functions and deal with low-hanging fruit where, you know, all of the value, all the differentiation that I'm going to get is very heavily front-loaded in, in the engagement? Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. All right. So I, I know there are some challenges in the observability sector. Some companies, uh, it doesn't work perfectly. Some want to do something that's hard to do. What do you see as common challenges that companies face with their observability deployment? Yeah, so... For example, as companies think, well, maybe I'm not getting value out of something. Uh, you were dealing with issues like, well, the the growth, the cost of observability, and this is not just just the the hard dollar cost. Um, it can be the you know, the the infrastructure cost. It can be the cost of people involved in managing and extending the observability function. So, for example, in this case, just deploying open source observability backends is not a panacea for handling mm -hmm. cost, um, right. but but handling that cost. Um, is is really a big challenge. We see oftentimes uh, companies coming to us talking about super linear growth in their costs. So to be more specific, let's say that your revenue is growing at a certain percentage. Maybe your infrastructure, say for example, your uh, AWS or GCP costs may be growing faster than that because you're having to invest in R&D and expanding your footprints. But then observability is growing even faster than that. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously a big concern to a finance organization. It's like, well, our revenue is going at a certain rate. Uh, costs are going, uh, our biggest cost, maybe the things on GCP is, is, or AWS is growing at an even higher cost. And of course, there's FinOps focus there. Um, but then observability, which we, as we talked about, is critical for, for maintaining that customer experience. That's even growing even faster. So hmm. it's a very big challenge there. Um, and then, of course, oh, we decide to move, but um, the friction of moving can be very high because we've locked ourselves into a proprietary ecosystem. And of mm -hmm. course, that ties back into what I said before in terms of the adoption of open source, giving more uh, more freedom. Um, but um, doing those things and making sure that any purposeful action that you take and observability ties into an overarching strategy is something that I'm hearing uh, customers have a challenge around it's it's not i can just buy a tool but now i need to think about specifically how does it fit into that strategy and am i really solving uh true problems there um, on the cost side of things um you end up having to throw a lot of people at the problem uh because inherently many vendors are frankly disincentivized to help you manage cost right it's mm. you, know, you see the dichotomy of particularly some vendors in the market go hey we've added cost management features for your your cloud your aws and your gcp and uh, some of the more skeptical reception from the market is great. When are you going to provide similar tooling so that my metrics or my logging bill is mm -hmm. also decreasing or, or that doesn't matter static? Yes. Right. Well, all right. You've talked a bit about how to, how to address those challenges. If, if, if a company came to you and said, you know, Ian, we're having some str struggles. What are some ideas and best practices and tips for actually handling those challenges? Yeah, so part of my role, uh, not as a you know, necessarily tactically selling on a day-to-day -day basis, but looking at the way the market is going and having some of those conversations with with organizations as they, they think about the bigger picture, um, and also seeing how uh, you know companies have been successful in making some of these big transformations that go down in the, the cloud-native pathway, I really think the core of it needs to be uh, being very deliberate about an observability strategy. Mm -hmm. And so for that, 
uh, one customer they talked to really summed it up very well is we keep buying tool after tool after tool uh, and we think that we're buying solutions but internally when when i when i asked around i said well what is the problem we're actually trying to solve we weren't all on the same page and so how can you possibly buy something thinking it's a solution for a, for a problem if you haven't actually defined that problem up front and so at a, at a basic level the observability strategy is not just tool selection it's what are we trying to accomplish? And usually it's tied into the business objectives. It may be we need to move to the cloud. It may be that we need to adopt cloud native really aggressively. Um, and then how does engineering facilitate uh, what the business needs? And then going from this top-down basis is what is the value we were looking to derive from observability? Allows you to really filter down to what matters. And it may be you know, the ability to control cost is incredibly important. Or you know, when we previously uh, settled on our observability tooling, we're a much smaller company. We had a really big focus on observability being used by most senior resources and they drove the evaluation. Now we may be you know, 10, 15 times more engineers and it's a very broad spread of experiences. So we need tooling that facilitates us to not be bottlenecked on those most senior engineers we need everyone including you know the the engineer who's been here four months is about to go on call how are mm. they going to be able to take advantage of those things and not constantly page the same people who were very reliant upon from an innovation standpoint so being deliberate about those strategic objectives and then filtering that down and going well maybe you don't even need to change an observability tool maybe it is that um you know the key of it is uh we need to direct a large portion of our observability data into uh, some other area, maybe a data lake, because we've been abusing our observability tooling. Right. And these are all strategic initiatives that come out of really sort of stepping back and, and looking at that bigger picture. Hmm, interesting. All right. So let's drill down to what Chronosphere does. I mean, in terms of really addressing the observability needs of its clients, I mean, what is the Chronosphere advantage? Yeah, I think fundamentally, and I, I've worked with a, a lot of uh, vendors in this space, unfortunately, last 10 years, for better or worse. But mm. to me, one of those key differentiators, the one that shines through a lot to our customers is that fundamentally and philosophically, we're built to solve organizational pain, which sounds mm. very fluffy. I realize that, but to be more specific, it, you know, think about the kinds of things in a, in a company that, that sound bad or painful and constantly bring up friction. So you know, finance complaining, as I mentioned before, about unpredictable overages or a bill rapidly escalating. And the other, other side of it might be you know, engineers saying, okay, well, I don't have the visibility I need or, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll drop that data because um, that appears to be sort of you know, the, the most recent thing we've added. And that's the thing that tipped us over the, the edge of getting an overage. Those are organizational pains. It's you're losing visibility or people are, are not seeing the value of that observability investment. And so um, being able to solve those problems um, ties back to the DNA of the company and, and where it came from, which is ultimately uh, the founders were at Uber and Uber because of its scale, wasn't able to just go out and, you know, sort of have that knee jerk reaction, like let's buy this, let's buy that. They had to be very deliberate. They had to come up with a strategy and they had to, to drill down into what really mattered because they were going to, it was going to be a significant engineering investment to, to build tools that would support their particular needs, particularly because they were early adopters of cloud native. Mm. And so, um, some of the, the things that the team tackled there are very much part of the core Chronosphere offering. So the ability to control cost, you know, we've sort of talked about it at a surface level, but one of the things Chronosphere does allows you to understand the value of your data. 
who's using it, what are they using it for, uh, how much are they utilizing it, and be able to compare across those data sets. Maybe you have some data over there that's only used um, for you know once every three months for capacity planning, but it's very, very small in its footprint. There's data over here, it's used every day for instant investigation, but what pieces of that are actually core to uh, what you need to answer those questions? We're also secondarily able to refine the data set down dynamically, and we really, from a business perspective, only charge you for the data that matters and that you've chosen to, to store with us. So you can generate as much data as you want, figure out what matters to you, reshape that on the fly, and then pay for that. And so that as a, a core capability really helps you address that fundamental cost problem of, well, data is exploding. I have all this stuff coming from candidates and microservices. I don't know what's valuable. And uh, you know, I'm under a lot of pressure from finance, particularly in the current economy, not to double or triple that over the next 12 months. Right. Uh, you use an interesting phrase, of course, cloud native. I mean, we know what cloud native means in general, but what does it mean in terms of the observability sector and, and why is it an advantage? Yeah, so there's, from the observability perspective, you tend to get a massive increase in data volumes. If you think about it just as simple, maybe you were you know, a, a web-first company, you maybe deployed in five different regions. In each of those regions, you have big monolith, uh, maybe even just running in one VM. It's uh, generating you know, certain data points about performance and those kinds of things. But you basically just have five sources of data. And then you move to... Uh, a containers uh, deployment, ignore microservices for a second, you just have a containers deployment, and you, maybe you're looking at 50 to 100 different containers in every single region. You've now increased the volume of data just because by nature of running those in containers uh, 50 to 100 times. Then you add on microservices, you have another multiplier on top of that. I've decomposed wow. my monolith into 15 different microservices. Right. So there's a volume of data problem, which obviously speaks to the cost piece that I, I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. um, but then a secondary aspect of it is things just got a lot more complicated for anyone to be able to operate and particularly diagnose where problems exist. And mm -hmm. so it feeds into another problem of, okay, um, my engineers used to be able to you know, pretty readily keep all the context in their head. Um, they had a, you know, enough tribal knowledge, enough context built up that, oh, I can look at these logs, I can look at these metrics and I can solve my problem. But now with this complexity, I don't know where the problem lies. Also, I'm not talking to the teams who are uh, building the new microservices um, on a maybe weekly or monthly basis, pardon me. And so now I don't know where to look. And so, oh, I need to adopt distributed tracing, but I'm not a distributed tracing expert. And so this, this aspect I alluded to before of like the audience uh, sort of sophistication and the complexity problem um, re really is a big struggle and making sure that the tooling can speak to everyone. And also mm -hmm. that you as an engineering organization are able to put your fingerprints on things, you know, build your workflows and not just be beholden to uh, sort of a, an unrealistic ideal that the vendor has decided, oh, this is great from a marketing purpose. Um, this is the A, B, C, D, E sequence that you should always take or investigate a problem. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes I hear engineers are very frustrated because their most um, their most senior resources like, oh, well, it's super easy. You just go from A to E, but the product doesn't support you going and skipping B, C, B, C and D. So right. being able to bring those kinds of things to uh, the, the audience and allow them to have you know, that distillation of institutional tribal knowledge um, is very powerful. The big question is the future of observability. I think companies want to know so that they can get ready now. What do you see a few years ahead in, in terms of observability? Where's the sector going? 
Yeah, I think particularly, as we mentioned before, the open source instrumentation and defining what data is important to you and being in control of that destiny is going to become very, very commonplace. There's already, we really have those sort of early adopters that are in there and they're really pushing the development of things like open telemetry. Uh, but I think seeing the vendor adoption is also another piece of that. And I think that's going to extend forward um, mm -hmm. into various other parts of it. So you know, how do I control that data? How do I, how do I interact with it as well? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, extending the skepticism thing that we mentioned before, I think companies right. are going to become a lot more focused on what are the outcomes and the value. And it's going to be less of uh, necessary tactical features. Of course, features are always going to be important, but the, the, the level of, in inspection of, well, what are the outcomes? How can I uh, be confident about the adoption of this? How can I be confident about um, lowering the barrier to entry for my junior developers, for example? How can I be confident in the ability for my senior engineers to not be on call as much? So mm -hmm. these are those fundamental things that maybe don't immediately map to a feature or function, but uh, the, the the market is gonna become very, very picky about and, and force sort of a, a bit of a change there. I do think that, uh, you know, the AI uh, as a concept has some very interesting applications. I'll be a little bit of a wet blanket and say we, we can't just pin our hopes on AI and just sort of sit back. So it's just a case of let's pump all of our, our data over to open AI and, and have it uh, come back to us. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think particularly generative AI has uh, very important ramifications about how do we express ourselves to, the, to an observability system. And how can it express itself back to us? To so to be specific, uh, anyone who's spent uh, a bunch of time in observability has probably struggled with uh, either a point and click or a query language interface of, I want this data and I want it in a certain way, mm -hmm. and ultimately, that is you know expressing yourself to the system. But from a natural language perspective, you can say, look, tell me what's going wrong with this part of the system. And then be able to use those sort of same ways of expressing yourself to really narrow down the search. You know, discard all the data from non-paying customers. Let me focus in on just paying customers. Okay, which customers are currently being affected? What's common about the customers who are being affected? How long has this been going on? These are all things that we have been asking since the dawn of time of monitoring mm -hmm. solutions, mm -hmm. um, but they're still quite difficult for us to express in the system. So generative AI has that, I think, opportunity to, to really uh, advantage us there. And then also the data coming back, right? It's it's one thing for a, a raw feed of data to come through and you know fill up a, a terminal and hopefully we're, we're past those points, but even you know, the very dense graphs and dashboards that we've, we've built up, they don't necessarily highlight to us exactly what we should be looking at. So the system saying, for example, you know, here's a plethora of data, here's a dashboard, but you should probably look here, here, and here. And also mm -hmm. last time, these things were caused by this, this, and this, and this is what you did to solve them. It's really just allowing the human decision-making factor to come to the fore rather than that, you know, sort of very heavy manual exploration of the data that's oftentimes relying on tribal knowledge. Hmm. Interesting. You know, it's 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 a lot of good information. I think I, I definitely learned something. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your expertise today. And uh, please come back and talk with us again sometime. Of course. Thank you so much, James.